Hi, my name's Paul. And my name is Red Pill, Blue Pill. And you're listening to No Garnish. The carrot was definitely dangling. Hey, Paul, so I understand that you've got the right medicine for me. I hope so. We're drinking penicillins this week. Oh, the penicillin. I could do with a shot. I could do with a bit of a pick-me-up. I need to get the decks up really soon because I think this whole thing of, like, you know, only 12 days of Christmas, where I'm just like, absolutely not. No, I want sparkly shit everywhere. Yeah, I need I, it. I need sparkly shit everywhere. Yeah, yeah, I'm glad we're on the same page. Yeah, we are. So um, this week we've got the penicillin. Yeah, and then we're going to do the penicillin, and then we're going to do a, a that I make on the penicillin Ooh. and we haven't really got much of a plan we've, we've got we've no got, plan we've got lots of facts but no structure yeah. so this is going to be it's going to be an interesting one yeah it's going to be a no garnish jam it is isn't it like a jam of facts oh that would be cool wouldn't it if you could just have jam that just gave you facts as you were eating it so your general knowledge just expanded every time you had a bit of toast that'd be great like a smart royal jelly oh i like it yeah speaking of honey let's get into the penicillin let's get into it man created in 2005 by sam ross who's the same guy who created the paper plane Ah, that's one of your favourite cocktails, That's one of my favourites, and it was made at New York's Milk and Honey Bar. And the ethos of Milk and Honey was make small changes to classic cocktails to create big effects. Oh, okay. So they had a cocktail called the Gold Rush, which was a twist on a whiskey sour. Right, nice. So a whiskey sour is American whiskey, lemon juice, sugar. The Gold Rush replaces the sugar with honey. So Sam Ross has then done another riff on that and replaced the American whiskey with Scotch whiskey. So ah. penicillin is scotch whiskey, honey and ginger syrup, and lemon juice, and then it's got a float of a heavily peated Isla Scotch. Mm. This is our little treat. So I, I've got a really nice peated Scotch as our float. Is it? I've used a Port Charlotte 10-year-old heavily peated. Oh, that sounds one of the opulent. One of the best whiskies in the world for is that it? price range, around really? 50 quid. Yeah. Oh, so you're really treating me. You're splashing out this yeah. evening. God, it's an expensive hobby, isn't it, cocktails? You don't have to go expensive. No? The other ingredients aren't. Oh, okay. So there's just like yeah. a little like, gilded top just to give it that. I, you know, I, no- I normally buy myself a fancy bottle of whiskey at yeah. Christmas and I just bought it a bit early. Hey, well, in the spirit of bringing Christmas early, should we have a little taste? Yeah. Whoa, lovely. Mm. That is beautiful, man. It's a good drink, isn't it? Oh, so the listeners, if you've not had a penicillin, it's got a lovely, like, fiery, zesty, sugary, delicious... It's like a crack of whip of lovely, beautiful flavours hurtling at you. Yeah, I mean, mean, basically, it's a hot toddy balanced as a cocktail. It's all the flavours of a hot toddy. Ginger whiskey, lemon, honey. That's exactly what it tastes like. It tastes like a lovely boozy... um, You know, like the the syrup that you would get given as a kid when you're ill? Yeah. Isn't it? The honey glycerin syrup. It's a bit like that, but a more sophisticated, boozy version, isn't it? Yeah, basically, Um, yeah. It's got a lovely, like, let me have another little sip. Well, it's honey lockets. Remember those honey lockets? There's a little note of that in there as well. Yeah, there is. So you get, like, honey and lemon, and you get that sugary zestiness, and then you get, like, a lovely bite of the scotch. Yeah, man, this is a great cocktail. And a lovely that, time of year for it as well. Yeah, it's perfect time of year for it. I was wondering if you named it the penicillin because it's like a hot toddy. Mm. And also because smoky Isle scotch has like an iodine note in it. Right. And that's also medicinal, isn't it? I've never tasted iodine. 
Well, I've never tasted it, but <laughs> you know that smell, TCP. Yeah. Didn't they use, like, in 70s cop shows, be like, he was on TCP? Or am I thinking of something else? I think that's PCP. Oh, PCP, that's the one. <laughs> it's on TCP. Yeah, do you know what I mean? On plasters. That's so funny. It's like, mmm, I love this. This, this tastes like old plasters. Mmm. <laughs> See, I like that. <laughs> really? I like those medicinal notes, but some people really hate them. Oh, uh, really? Mm. I think there's got a lovely comforting flavour about this. It definitely reminds me of being sort of slightly under the weather in the autumn or the winter um, and not having to go to work. Yeah. You've got all your duvet and everything, and you're just sort of soaking up midday TV whilst drinking something lovely just to kind of warm your cockles. That's the brief but succinct history of the penicillin. Mm. There isn't a lot more to say about it. In fact, there's nothing more to say about it, so we can go straight into some weird and wonderful facts, I think. Yeah, I mean, I was just going to say, like, it's really nice that you've got that sugary ginger garnish with it, because that's yeah, a lovely yeah. little accompaniment with it. A little it. bit of candied ginger. Yeah, ginger's, like, incredibly beneficial. And it's an amazing anti-inflammatory and a booster to the immune system. It's very good for your gut. And, of course, your gut bio is very important for sustaining your immune system. Yeah. So, yeah, very good. So this drink is actually making us healthier. (gasps) Gesundheit. So I did loads of stuff around penicillin, but that led somewhere I had much more fun. The history of penicillin is really interesting. Yeah, go on, let's have a little brief history of it, go on. So Alexander Fleming, he was a very messy researcher. Yeah. But if he hadn't been such a messy researcher, he wouldn't have discovered penicillin. Oh, why is that? Because he left uncovered Petri dishes on his workbench over the weekend. Right. And the penicillium spores were actually from the workshop or the laboratory downstairs. Oh, right. And they'd come up through the air and infected his dishes. But if he'd been a tidy researcher, yeah. that would never have happened. He would have covered the dishes. Oh, so they, the spores came up into his workshop. Yeah. What were they working on below then? Did I don't know. That? You don't know? I don't know. And then, and then what, they start destroying all his Petri dishes? What he noticed was that there was some unusual activity in one of the dishes. Right. Like some of the bacteria was being attacked by something. Right. Wasn't there a quote from Einstein saying that, like, if a messy desk is a messy mind, then what's a clean desk? You know, is a clean <laughs> desk a an point. empty mind? Yes. Do you know what I mean? Like, he was kind of challenging the fact that, because I think, I think there has to be a balance somewhere. I was going to say, there's an optimum balance. There is me. an optimum balance, yeah. I mean, I always have a healthy level of clutter in my studio. Yeah. Because it makes me feel more um, connected. Mm. And it makes, and I like the slight mild distraction that my clutter brings me Mm. you know i definitely find a nice ruminating level of uh noise keeps me busy yeah you know yeah yeah Yeah. should i carry on yeah please do okay so so the other the little things that i found that are interesting that initially no one believed him so he took his findings about penicillin to some conferences where there were all the bacteriologists from all over the world he was presenting his findings and none, no one believed him. No one thought that he had anything of worth there. So I thought that was interesting, that he persevered, even though all the other experts were going, no, 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 you're, you're barking up the wrong tree here. Right. It was 1928 when he first discovered penicillin, but it was 1941 before anyone was really taking him seriously. Britain's in the Second World War. The government are like, we need something like this. This will help us treat our troops. 
because a lot of troops were dying from infections mm. from their wounds. Of course. So the problem then was how to generate penicillin in the needed quantities. Right. So England then paired with America. And the breakthrough came from a US research laboratory that was based in Peoria, Illinois. So in this research laboratory in Illinois, they were using corn steep liquor, which is a byproduct of corn processing. And that turned out to be a really good base for growing penicillin. Oh, right, okay. And then the key thing, and I love this fact, someone found a rotten melon in a Peoria market. And this rotten melon had an incredibly high quality strain of penicillium on it. And so if it wasn't for this one rotten melon right. that they found, that was a massive breakthrough in the industrial development of penicillin. Wow. It enabled the Allied forces to make tons of it. Wow. Basically, it started off as an accident and it developed even further through yeah. the accident Yeah, as well. absolutely, yeah. And isn't that interesting as well, like the duality, something that we see in mould as being destructive and decay and death and ill health brings us the total opposite. So penicillin is basically, what, is it a bacteria or is it a mould? What is it? Is it mould or a bacteria? Penicillin's a fungus. So the fungus attacks the bacteria. Oh, I see. Yeah. Oh, interesting. God. So that's, yeah. How fascinating. So there are many places and institutes around the world named after Fleming for having created penicillin. Right. And one of the more unusual ones is that outside the main bullring in Madrid, the matadors of Madrid had erected a monument to Alexander Fleming as a thank you for saving the lives of many gored matadors. So I that, can't stand matadors. They really are. I know, I know, I know, I know. That got me down a... I can't uh, stand how sexy they are as well in their little <laughs> sexy suits. There's a whole... I think I've talked about the Tumblr account I follow of just slow motion close-ups of their bums. Yeah. Oh, it's just beautiful. <laughs> <laughs> so this got me down a rabbit hole of weird monuments and yeah statues. Right. I've picked out a few of my favourite ones. Oh, okay. So the first one links to bulls right? by way of something that you've talked about before. We, you've talked about the charging bull statue in Wall Street. Yes, I have. Have you heard of the pissing pug? Pissing pug? Yeah. <laughs> no, I haven't. So after the charging bull statue was erected on Wall Street, the fearless girl then appeared. You know the fearless girl. No, I don't know the fearless girl. Facing the charging bull is now a defiant little girl. Oh, with, yeah, there is. With her hands on her Yes, hips. yeah, yeah. See, that was commissioned by State Street Global Advisors. Right. They commissioned it to basically advertise one of their services, which was an index fund that comprises gender diverse companies. Oh, okay. Oh, that's good, I guess. Ironically, this same company recently paid $5 million to settle a lawsuit from its female and minority employees who alleged the company violated equal pay rights. <laughs> oh, my. Oh, so it's like a, uh, it's like a front, isn't it? Basically, like, yeah. You know, it's so funny, isn't it, the irony, because that charging bull statue was put as like a sort of uh, a commentary on the risky state of the Wall Street market and yeah. how everyone acts on it. Yeah. And then it was put in place permanently because it became a big sensation. And then they put in a defiant girl as some sort of like, look at us, aren't we great? But yeah. actually the real story behind it is that they're bullshit. It's such a poetic fuckery, isn't it? <laughs> That's all I can put. Well, this fuckery continues. Really? Because of the pissing pug. Right. 
So in 2017, artist Alex Gardiga added a statue of a pug to the statues, and it's a little dog pissing on the fearless girl. (laughs) And so he put it there as like a, you know, a statement saying this was fucking corporate art. And then within the space of a few hours, women's rights groups immediately started directing angry comments at him. And so within three hours, he removed it. Oh, really? So it only lasted three hours, but... I'm like, yeah, fucking pissing pug. Yeah, I like it. I mean, it's a really interesting thing, isn't it? The fact that so many women's groups were in praise, the fact that there was a statue to sort of celebrate them, negating the fact it was commissioned by a company that's doing the exact opposite of what they want. Yeah, It almost kind of, that whole story symbolises the world that we're in. It totally does, yeah. Doesn't it? Yeah. Do you know what I yeah, mean? Yeah. Fascinating though. Wow, man, what a great dive. Yeah, I just like the idea of like the big statue, then a smaller one, then a slightly smaller yeah, one. Yeah, yeah. I kind of like the idea of that it keeps getting smaller and yeah, smaller. Yeah, yes. And then like on the back of the dogs, like a whole load of fleas, like little miniature fleas, <laughs> yeah. like with like protest banners or something. I don't yeah, know. <laughs> Do yeah. you know what I mean? Yeah, like yeah. So... The next one that I found was one called Brown Noses. So Brown Noses is created by Czech artist David Cerny. It stands outside the Futura Gallery in Prague. And it's basically the backsides of two figures. And they're enormous. And viewers are invited to climb up a ladder and stick their heads into the anuses of these giant backsides. And what you see when you put your head inside is you see a video depicting Czech President Václav Klaus and the head of the National Gallery spoon-feeding one another to the tune of Queen's We Are The Champions. And the piece was meant as a criticism not only of the political situation in the Czech Republic, but as a physical manifestation of the artist's disdain for the national gallery cerny hates the national gallery in, in, in the czech republic so much that he refused to accept the award that they gave him and he said that upon meeting the curator of the museum it was hate at first sight oh, really and so he's erected this huge giant anuses outside outside the outside, outside the gallery wow <laughs> Wow, I love it. I love it. And they were like, yeah, great. He hates us. So let's just give him permission to do this massive thing of hatred. I find that fascinating. Okay, we can diverge at this point. Okay. We can go either another Eastern European monument or we can go more bottoms. Oh, I don't know. You choose, choice. You choose. I don't know. I can't decide. Let's go bottoms while we're there. Go on. Jeju Loveland. Ooh, that's a good name. So Jeju Loveland is an outdoor sculpture park on Jeju Island in South Korea. And it features 140 sculptures, and they're big sculptures, of people having sex. Ooh, giant figures having sex with each other. And some of them are interactive. Like the science museum, <laughs> you can turn a dial and things move. What, and they start having sex with yeah, each other? Yeah, Wow. Is it is it only heterosexual sex? I don't know, actually. Yeah, it's one of those things, isn't it? Where it's like, oh, we'll do that, that's great. Oh, put two guys in there. No, that's obscene. Yeah, do you know what I mean? But it's actually got a weird story. Is it? So that island, Jeju Island, in the 1970s, it was a popular honeymoon destination for recently married couples. Right. And because of the recently married married couples a lot of it had been by arranged marriages right so people were very inexperienced with sex so so the hotels that they were staying at became kind of 
centres for sex education. So the hotels had an entertainment programme that was kind of leaning towards erotic arts to get people feeling a bit horny. Really? And the um, staff at the hotels would often be informally giving sex advice, basically, to these couples. Wow. Yeah, so this this whole park is kind of a monument to to this history of it. That's fascinating. I find the concept of arranged marriage just surreal. This idea that you don't get to choose your partner. Someone else chooses it for you. There's an incredible amount of function towards arranged marriage, isn't there? Yeah, yeah, totally. (laughs) To negate the romance and everything. Yeah. But it's kind of interesting the people who said that it's been really good for them. I mean, it's it's a double-edged sword, isn't it? Because it's really great having the choice and the freedom to go out and go dating and uh, to sleep with lots of different people, to get sexually experienced. But there's also a whole other side to it as well, which is comes with all sorts of pain and frustration and mm. feelings of inadequacy and all sorts of stuff, isn't there? Yeah. It's just really down to luck then, isn't it? Because if you get arranged with someone yeah. who you really aren't attracted to... Yeah. Because I can imagine with arranged marriages, it's very difficult to get divorced. If it's been arranged like this, I can imagine it's very difficult to get out of it. Little addendum to the Jeju Love Park. There was a plan to create a similar park in China. It did start construction, but the government suspended its construction, then ordered it demolished for being vulgar and explicit. But the Chinese Love Park would have been in a place near Foreigner Street, and Foreigner's Street is an amusement park that's dedicated to world cultures. Right. But it includes the world's largest toilet, the Porcelain Palace. Right, wow. The Porcelain Palace is a complex containing more than a thousand toilets and urinals, making it the largest toilet complex in the world. I don't understand. Why do you need a toilet complex? Exactly. Like... Do you know and, what I mean? and it's also styled in the. It's got two distinct architectural styles. One right. style is based on ancient Egypt, right? And the other style is based on Gaudi. Wow! And that's in China. Yeah, Porcelain Palace on Foreigner Street. Yes, I just I find it weird. I find it like someone. Um, so I met someone recently who was t- telling me about their travels in Japan, and yeah. they were saying that like if you go out of Tokyo into some of the rural areas. There's signs on with eyes that are very round and crosses mm. through them, which is no wide eyes. So no one with wide eye, no one with wide Western eyes allowed in. Mm. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. And I was thinking, like, can you imagine if we had that here? You would be shut down. There'd be a whole media story about it. I just find that such a weird concept. So here's here's another one. The Bruce Lee Peace Monument. Okay. So there's a statue of Bruce Lee in Zrinsky, I don't know how you say it, Zrinsky Park, Mostar, Yugoslavia. And this came about because during the communist era of Yugoslavia, mainstream Hollywood films were banned, but there was a big black market of videos. Right. And during this period, Bruce Lee became a bit of a cult hero. Right. So after the Balkan Wars and the collapse of communism, the people of Mostar wanted a peace monument. And while people like Gandhi and the Pope were submitted as possible subjects, the people chose Bruce Lee. Hey! And it became the first Bruce Lee statue in the world. Wow, that's interesting. And he's a symbol of peace in Yugoslavia. Wow, really? So that's a cool one. That's really cool, isn't it? And my last one, you might have seen this guy. A statue of Santa Claus, popularly known as the Butt Plug Gnome in Rotterdam. <laughs> have you seen this? No, I haven't. So there's a big statue of Santa holding what could either be a butt plug or a Christmas tree. Right. And it's all in black, which makes it definitely look more like a butt plug. 
And the artist was called Paul McCarthy. But in the first account I read, they'd got it wrong and wrote it was Paul McCartney. (laughs) I would love it if it was Paul McCartney. (laughs) And it was so popular that a red version was unveiled in Oslo. And the unveiling for the red one was performed by a man pulling off the cover whilst being suspended by an overhead crane with hooks through his skin. Oh, in Norway. They love their sort of death metal and stuff in Norway. There you go, yeah. I love the European approach to Christmas. Oh, my God, the first crazy... (laughs) Oh, I can't stand that hook through the skin thing. So these butt plug Santas are going to slowly start sprouting up. I hope so. (laughs) Well, it's big and terrible. So I was thinking about weird medical devices. And as that's you, where as I started, yeah. as I do. Because I thought, well, penicillin. I was like, what weird medical devices are there? And the first one I came across was the foil hat. Being an ex-conspiracy theorist, you know, a lot of people would say to me when I would start talking about these things, like, oh, go on, you know, get your tinfoil hat out. Yeah. I was like, oh, okay. But there is actually the tinfoil hat device. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'll show you a picture of it. Wow. That looks more like a colander that's covered in... <laughs> tinfoil with a couple of electrodes sticking in. It really does, doesn't it? So yeah, basically, um, babies who are born with low flow of oxygen to their brains, it's a very fatal condition. Mm. And what the cap does is that they pump a cool liquid at a selected temperature around the baby's head and that somehow regulates the oxygen flow to their brain. Wow. Isn't that amazing? Yeah. So from that, I went to the mummy wrap. (laughs) And basically, pregnant women who were concerned about their unborn baby that could be affected by electromagnetic fields, fear not, because someone has developed the mummy wrap, which is a loose-fitting garment made from a very lightweight copper-based material, and it protects the fetus from any electromagnetic devices, particularly things like cell phones. And something that has happened recently is that I've got an iPhone 12, and France has banned iPhone 12s temporarily. Because they did a, um, what they, what France were doing was taking random phones off the shelves and putting them through tests. And they found that the iPhone 12 failed at all of the electromagnetic radiation. Really? That it was at an unsafe level. And now Apple have brought out an update to apparently make it safe again. But I've got an iPhone 12. So I was like, wow, great. Thanks, Apple. This is like the safety stuff with, um, do you remember the beginning of Fight Club? Because that's what he is. He's like a car insurance adjuster. Right, yes. And he's sitting next to a woman on a plane explaining, well, if it's just not cost effective, even if something's lethal, if it's not cost effective to do a recall, the company won't do it. Yeah. It's like that, isn't it? It is like that, isn't it? A times B times C equals X. If X is less than the cost of a recall, we don't do one. Are there a lot of these kinds of accidents? You wouldn't believe. So you can see the uh, connection here with conspiracy theories, though, can't you? The yeah, yeah. Hat, well, yeah. The mummy wrap. Yeah. Well, let me bring you to the eye breast. <laughs> Please do. So from Apple, we've gone to the eye breast. So this is uh, an idea of an implant MP3 player into women's breast tissue so that you can play sounds from people's breasts. <laughs> Why? Why? Well, you could just have your favourite tunes, you could have your phone, you could listen to your podcast, 
Okay. But the science, well, the medical science behind it is that it can record people's heartbeats. It can listen out for heart arrhythmia. Uh, it can also listen at blood pressure. It can warn people for diabetes and for breast cancer. So it could basically play a sound to warn you of all these things. Yeah. So from that, I went into cancer. Right. But um, something that is being developed is the high intensity focused ultrasound called HIFU for short. And it kills cancer cells with high frequencies. Basically, a university in Michigan is developing um, what they call histo histotripacy. High intensity frequencies of the sound waves destroys the tumor via sound, but then it also triggers the body's autoimmune response to help heal it. Mm. So the high frequency sound heals it. Okay. And they have done this, and it works in mice, by the way. So okay. there has it does have some validity to it. But um, something that I did come across a while back was someone talking about the Rife machine and how it was this huge conspiracy that the American government shut down because pharmaceutical companies make a lot of money from cancer, and they would rather give you chemo than have a machine that can just blast it out of you. Right, mm. But actually, when I dubbed deeper into this, the video was bollocks. <laughs> okay. You know, that video on Instagram Reels, oh my God, it was bollocks. Mm, right. <laughs> but uh, interesting enough, uh, Royal Raymond Rife worked on a machine he called the Rife Machine or the Rife Frequency Generator. And it was in the 1920s. And he was really well known for his microscopes he developed the oscillating beam ray which could look at microorganisms with much more clarity and zoom really into them and he made this machine that produced low levels of energy waves and compared to x-rays or radiotherapy these are very low levels so they're very non-destructive to the body mm. but he believed that if you could find the frequency of the tumor you could destroy it mm. by using this machine and what you would do is basically you, you would hold on to these electrodes and it would pass an electric current through you, which will somehow destroy the cells. Mm. But it came about later on in life that it was a massive fraud. And when they took his machines apart, they discovered that they were nothing more than just basic circuitry, a 9-volt battery, a timer clip. And basically, the Rife machine was sold for anywhere from one and a half thousand US dollars to um, thirty-four thousand. You know, so they're yeah. quite expensive machines. And then John Breyer Kruger, who was the chairman of the Royal Rife Research Society, uh, later was sentenced to twelve years in jail for murder plus another thirty months for illegally selling the Rife machines, which he called. Murder. Yeah, for right. murder. I think you're going to say embezzlement. Murder surprises. Who did he murder? Do you know? I don't know. It didn't really go into the information about that. Maybe I don't someone, know if someone he... who was going to shop him. Maybe. For selling dodgy machines. Yeah, possibly. But then he was calling the machines Astro Pulse, Biosolution, Energy Wellness, and Global Wellness Machines. When was this? So uh, this was in the 80s. It's the goop of its day. But it's just interesting that um, this machine, you know, the idea that you could use low frequency energy waves to destroy cancer. And yeah. now they're developing machines that use um, energy frequency, sound frequencies to destroy cancer cells. Mm. The idea is there, but the technology to back it up isn't. Basically, this Rife machine was a pyramid scheme. Mm. And then I thought, pyramids? 
Okay. <laughs> this is basically me at about three in the morning when I can't sleep. This is what my brain is like. Yeah. In every job that must be done, there is an element of fun. You'll find the fun and snap! The job's a game. And every task you undertake becomes a piece of cake. A lark, a spree, it's very clear to see. That a spoonful of sugar helps the medicine go down The medicine go down The medicine go down Just a spoonful of sugar helps the medicine go down In the most delightful way So we're back with the second cocktail. So this is a riff that I made on a penicillin one day when I didn't have the ingredients for a penicillin. Oh, nice. Because okay. with a penicillin, you've got to make a ginger syrup, a ginger honey syrup. Mm-hmm. I didn't have ginger, didn't have honey. What I did have was some Irish whiskey and some ginger liqueur. Right. So this is a riff on a penicillin called a repeat prescription oh. made with Irish whiskey which has a different character to okay. Scotch whiskey. Still got a float of Scotch whiskey on the top. I did have a little bit of Petey's whiskey. So it's going to be very similar, but a little bit different at the same time. Yeah, that's very different. Very, is it? Mm, yeah, I think so, yeah. Because it's got the spirit floater on top. It's a stronger whiskey as a float on this mm, one. It's much stronger. Yeah. And I think that's the thing with this cocktail that I didn't mention previously is that the first sip of it is very bold. Because of that float. Yeah. yeah. And then yeah. when you get through that, it actually becomes mellower and mellower. Yeah. It's good, though. I like it. But the thing with any Scotch cocktails is, depending on the Scotch you use, it totally changes the character of the drink. Yes, it does. Yeah. So you can just play around with whatever whiskies you want to play around with, whatever your favourite whiskies are. Yeah, use yeah. Those. Well, to make the penicillin your penicillin. Yeah. To give that prescription the right prescription for you. Exactly. Just like well Carl said. Kennedy from um, Neighbours with his band The Right Prescription. And that means oh, I, nothing to you, does it? No. So Carl Kennedy's a long-running character in Neighbours. Right. And he's the doctor. He was like, at one point he was the sexy doctor because he had like an affair. And I've always got the feeling that the actor who plays him, I can't remember his name, liked to think of himself as a bit of a TV sex symbol at one point. Right. And then he's got a band because he plays music in, in Neighbours every now and again. He's got a band called The Right Prescription. Because he's a doctor. Because he's a doctor. Now it makes sense. And they used to go touring around the around the UK and all sorts. Like, And he used to do... Oh, but they're a real band. Yeah, a real band. I thought you meant band. like a, they were a TV band. No, he was like a real a band. Real, wow. And he would go and play, you know, university places. Because I think like Neighbours was always a bit synonymous, yeah. wasn't it, with like stoners and university students because yeah. they were the only people that would watch it during the day. Do you know what I mean? I got compliments. They're mocking you. Right. Hit me with some pyramids. Hit me with your pyramid stick. Hit me. Hit me. So, well, the pyramids, you know, there's a lot of kind of uh, ideas around what the pyramids before, isn't it? Particularly in your brain, yeah. <laughs> in my brain. Yeah, I like to think that they were docking stations for spaceships. That's my favourite one. So the ancient Egyptians had a method for healing that they called toning. Mm. And it was using harmonic sound by manipulating the voice and saying the vowel sounds. And what's interesting in acting is that the vowel sounds is how you convey emotion. They're really important for emotion. So that's what you learn in voice. Mm. 
Can you give an example? I really love you. I 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 love you. There you go. How's that? Excellent. Is that good? Yeah. Go. Oh, my heart was all a flutter. <laughs> and, you know, consonants are really good at uh, snapping, which is why all swear words have a lot of consonants in them. Mm. You know, shit. Fuck. You know, they finish with a snap, so yeah. they're very good at punctuating. Bastard. <laughs> That's one of my favourites. <laughs> so, um, you know, there is a belief that the, or theory that, you know, the, the pyramids have huge resonance chambers throughout them. So there was an idea that the pyramids were actually massive healing centres using harmonic energy to heal people. So what you're saying is those chambers, if you're making certain vowel sounds in certain chambers in the pyramid... They react particularly well to certain resonances and vowel sounds. I think so, yes. Yeah. And that the body reacts very well to certain frequencies. And we know yeah. that frequencies of energy or frequencies of sound change our brain chemistry, which is why we react to different types of music in different frequencies. Mm. Um, that's why chanting is done in different frequencies as well. I'll give you an example. 528 hertz is often known as the love frequency or the DNA repair frequency. And I did a bit of a dive a while back because someone was saying that when you look at sound frequencies and you visualize them, so a particular thing would be to put sand on a speaker. Oh, yeah. And as you turn up through the different frequencies, and it creates geometric patterns, mm. doesn't it? Yeah. But you can also then look at religious iconography throughout the centuries right and if you and a lot of religious iconography take for example the cross well a lot of these were adopted from early pagan symbology and also from tribal symbols as yeah. well that date back to our ancient cultures and these very closely look like energy frequency and if you look at the tone score of the chant of Om, mm. and you look at the Shiri Yantra mandala of Om, they're very, very similar. Hang on, what's, what's the Shiri? So the Shiri Yantra mandala, so you know the Om chant, Om. Yeah, yeah. The Shiri Yantra mandala is the visual representation of that. Ah, I've and never it's seen a pattern. that. It's a pattern. Right. Shall I show it to yeah, you? Yeah, please. So that's the tonoscope image, and that's the Siri Yantra mandala of Om. That's crazy. It, it looks the same, yeah. Yeah, it looks the same. But the, the thread of this was that um, sound is the healing form. Sound frequencies and frequencies of energy is the healing connection between us all between life and the life form of, of everything. Okay. And that sound is what we can use to heal us. The sound is just energy that we hear. Something that we don't do in modern day Western society is that we don't sing with each other anymore. Mm. And there's a, there is a known um, advantage to singing in choirs, to singing in tribes. Mm. People used to sing where they would go to work, whistle while you work, you know. Uh, that produces an incredible amount of health benefits in people because of the harmonic frequencies that we are creating through vibration together with our voices mm. 
um, cats purring. You know, there's a theory that I cats purr to heal themselves. To heal themselves. Yeah, I was thinking of cats purring. Yeah, and I totally agree with the singing. And like, if you've ever, you know, if you ever sang with people or made music with people, there is something that happens that's incredibly powerful. It is incredibly yeah. powerful, isn't it? And I think that's why people go to gigs. You know, I went to Queens of the Stone Age um, recently, and when you're in a big stadium gig and you're all together you're and you've got. Out. You've got the yeah. s- the songs. You've got the vibrations from the the guitars and the drums and everything. You've got mm. all of that energy that's um, resonating through people. So the idea of energy and sound being a healing tool. We go to gigs to make ourselves feel better, and then the idea mm. that the pyramids were kind of massive healing centers. There is an idea that the pyramids were centers for the human condition they were kind of like a a science center that had all of the information of what it was to live and to be on the planet because everything down to the engineering to the mathematics to everything all relate to the fact that this we could do i think we should do a podcast just on the pyramids because it's a huge topic (laughs) do you know what i mean is it like the pyramid is a monument to these things, or are you saying it was like an institute where people were going in and out? Because I don't think that was happening. Well, that's what one of the documentaries that I said, that's what they were theorising. Yeah, that these were centres that people were going to to be healed right. and that they would you know, travel to all around the world. Yeah, it wasn't just a tomb for the king to die in. Right. These were much more complex, much more um, sophisticated buildings that had a huge array of meaning to them i mean there's an idea that you know the 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 cap of it a lot of people know this were originally gold Mm. and the whole of the pyramid sides were actually made of marble there's theories to think or uh you know ideas to think that they were huge electrical generators as well that they conducted electricity out because of the rivers running underneath and these chambers also creating ionic energy uh, which Tesla managed to prove, and we talked about that in a previous ep- episode. So that is a proven science that you can actually create energy with the pyramid structure by using the river underneath. Because of the chambers originally apparently were lined in copper as well. So the reason why we don't really know all of this is because the pyramids aren't intact to what they were like when they were built. Because of all over the generations, you know, the gold caps were stolen, the marble was taken the copper was taken inside. Do you know what I mean? So that's why we're only left to these kind of crazy ideas of what they might have been. But I think the general consensus is that our understanding of of when they were first discovered by Westerners is that that's only the tip of the iceberg, that there is a way deeper knowledge that needs to be discovered. Could it be, just positing this, right? Yeah. Yeah. Could it be that they are actually just tombs and that everything else is coincidental? I don't. I, I think you would have to be nihilistic to think that it's just coincidental, if I'm honest. The statistics of coincidence are quite staggering, though. Do you think? Yeah, they are. If you look into it, it's, it's quite weird. Do you think? Yeah. What, just in general? Just generally, yes. It's interesting, actually, that because my friend's son, we were talking about this on the way back from Queens of the Stone Age, my friend's son, he was telling about how he's doing a PhD in the mathematics of randomness. Mm. And he showed me the chalkboard um, 
diagram. It's like, oh my god. Yeah. I mean, that's almost like looking at ancient hieroglyphics. Mm. Do you know what I mean? It's mm. just like, oh my god. I, that's that's. I just don't understand any of that. Like that's an ancient alien language to me. Do you know what I mean? Mm. You're not even numbers. They're just symbols. You know. And yeah, he's basically like that's his PhD is to to look at how you can predict randomness. Mm. I choose to believe that that is incorrect with the pyramids because I just think the engineering that's involved in it is is far too precise and that's why I lean to the idea that they were closer to some sort of truth I think the sci-fi geek in me leans to the idea of Stargate and Prometheus and the I, fact that I had a feeling we were edging in that direction yeah I mean you were pushing me to that no, I wasn't at all. I was I not pushing you, you I think to you that. were. I really wasn't. You weren't pushing me. No. The carrot was, was definitely dangling. <laughs> no, I really wasn't. I was just interested to see where you went. But I think I think the problem is when someone like me says that, it's sort of... Um, because as soon as someone says that, then they go, oh, yeah, you're just a pseudoscience YouTube. You just look at YouTube videos and you just sponge it all up and you go, aliens. That's it. And I think that's <clears throat> the unfortunate thing about that is because actually there's so much interesting information before you get to that. That conclusion yeah. is, is, is literally just a sort of um, a little bit like believing in God in the sense that like, I don't have the answers. So the only answer that I can come up with is some sort of higher being. Well, exactly. Yeah. You can go either way. You can go, I don't have the answers so I'm just going to sit with not having the answers or you can go, that's actually a bit too uncomfortable for me. So I'm going to choose to believe X. Yeah. I don't know if it's necessarily uncomfortable for me. I think it's just that it's more enjoyable. It's more enjoyable. And I think as a person, as my personality is that I'm always looking for the answer. I think that's the makeup of who I am is that I constantly ask existential questions to myself and to everything around me. Because I don't quite believe in all of it. I kind of walk this earth slightly, um, slightly like out of step with it all. I walk past McDonald's. I don't understand it. I don't understand how this can exist. I don't under I literally can't understand why McDonald's and KFC exist and why they're so popular and why they have populated everywhere. It just doesn't make any sense to me. I mean, not understanding why things are popular is pretty common. I think a lot of people have that experience. Yeah, I just don't understand why they exist, though. Oh, but this is the existential part of No Garnish, isn't it? This That's is where we all. This is where all roads lead, isn't it? I well, I want to get away from pyramids because right. I have no. I had no idea that was all going to come out. I don't know how crazy I. Do I sound crazy? <laughs> should we have a poll i'm gonna take the fifth on that <laughs> i think we should have a listener poll to see who who thinks i'm crazy and who thinks i'm not crazy you know we can do polls in spotify can you please do a poll i'll do it in this episode spotify tell me the wording so you don't ever go at me for getting it wrong who's more crazy me or you <laughs> Is that okay? Fine. I don't know. I don't. I don't want to make. I don't want to poll just about me. <laughs> team Paul or Team Reese? <laughs> no, because it's going to pit us against each other. Yeah. Let's not do a poll. Right. I don't want to know how people think. I don't want to know. I don't want. Yeah, fuck that. I don't want to know if people think I'm crazy or not. I don't care anyway. I don't care what people think. I do 
but I don't. I do. I do a little bit. I don't. Um. I think that's a good way of being. You know, a friend of mine this week he suddenly brought up a really old comic strip I'd done. Oh, okay. And saying that he'd found this thing online of people debating its meaning. Oh, really? Interesting. And people I have like, and I deliberately didn't look at it. Oh, really? I don't want to see that. Oh, well, you've kind of left all that behind, haven't you? It'd be quite interesting. Well, you can look at it. I'm not. All oh, right, but I'm not going to look at it. That's amazing, man. That people were debating your work online. That's that's really fascinating. It obviously resonated with people. Yeah, I don't want to see that shit, man. Well, that's the interesting thing about art. You know, fine art is totally open to be subjective and people bring their own meaning to it. And yeah. the point of fine art is to provoke a reaction, for to provoke people to think. Illustration is the opposite. Illustration really is to convey a precise meaning to people yeah. and for people to understand it. That's the sort of interesting thing about an outsider, well, not outsider, but kind of a art house comic series that you made with your work is that some of it's very illustrative and some of it pushes into sort of almost fine art territories it's Mm. you kind of like bounded between the two and i think when you do that then you open your work up to being subjectively misunderstood but that's the whole point of it Mm. in some ways and that's quite nice it's quite fruitful i think to get people to think about things even if they are misinterpreting it you know i always use the haircut example right you know i'll take stuff personally Right. So if 20 people say, nice haircut, one person says, bad haircut. But that's someone critiquing your work. That's not someone interpreting your haircut. Yeah, but I'll still take it personally. Right. Okay, interesting. So you'd rather shield yourself from any public criticism. I totally Um, get that. I totally get that, by the way. I uh, I remember looking online and uh, it was a really old piece of work and it wasn't a particularly great poster. I was really pleased at it at the time. But then someone put it up online about 10 or 12 years later saying, oh, I'm selling this poster. Does anyone want it? My girlfriend's had it for years and I hate it. <laughs> and it was one of my oh. posters. And I was thinking See? like, OK, you hate my poster. Fine. Fair enough. But that's your decision. That's your choice to yeah. not like my work. Well, I, you know what I mean? Yeah, I do. And that was the approach that I always took. Yeah. Well, I know what I was trying to do. You can either like it or not like it or be completely indifferent to it. Those are the range of options. So that's what I'm going to see if I look at what people's opinions are. Yeah, that's I'm interesting. Not, you know, I can't be bothered. As an artist, I think peer review is really important. I think uh, taking constructive criticism is really important. You can only better yourself. You can only get better from understanding criticism and being critical of your own work in order to push it. However, you do also need to shield yourself and find a filter to understand what's useful criticism and what you don't want to hear. Because if you sponge up too much feedback, it changes your own mind about what you want to do. Exactly. And it's really important to stay strong. Yeah. But I think, you know, you only have to look at the X factor to understand with all the auditions that people are going up to have their big chance, that maybe some of them need to have a bit of constructive criticism and they need to absorb it because they are absolutely terrible. <laughs> yes, yeah, yeah. Do you yeah, know what I mean? Yeah, there's some people who have like, yeah, I'm not, you know, I'm not someone and you're not someone who has this dogged belief in 
self-brilliance. No, we, we're not. We're not. And actually, maybe you if know. we had a little bit more dogged belief in self-brilliance, we wouldn't be so hard on ourselves. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, I think basically what we're both saying, though, is that actually I think we're so hard on on ourselves that actually when someone else is hard on it, it's almost too much. That's think, exactly, yeah. And I think that's right. very, yeah. very difficult as an artist to yeah. be when you are actually quite self-critical. Right. You know, all criticism, even self-criticism, is so subjective, isn't it? I came across an example of this recently. I can't remember who, but a musician absolutely rubbishing some music that they'd made in the past. And it was their music. And I'm, and I'm thinking, that's actually my favourite work of yours. Right, right. And you're rubbishing it yourself, saying yes. it's trash. Yeah, yeah. Well, I wish I'd never known that. Yes. Because that... that's now tainted my experience. Yeah, definitely, it. definitely. And Keep think... your opinions to yourself. I don't think it's a good idea to dish your own work in public. No, I don't think it is. No, I, I don't. I don't like it when artists do that. No. I was, I was, there's some Alan Moore dissing his own work recently. Is there? Yeah. I'm like, God, I'm struggling to like you <laughs> these days as it is. Yeah, yeah, definitely. No, I understand what you mean by that. Okay, so you've got a final bit where your pyramids led you. Yeah, so so we're talking about healing sound. And I mentioned I went to Queens of the Stone Age recently to see their OT mm. gig. And I'm a huge fan of the band. I've been listening to them since I was 16. And the lead singer, um, Josh Hom had cancer last year and he's made a full recovery had surgery but one of the surprising things from the show that i was really pleased to hear is that they did the song better living through chemistry and it really resonates with me that song um and, I was, and as, as i said i was really surprised that they played it because it's you know not one of their biggest hits or anything and then i went into a bit of a deep dive about that song in itself because it's called Better Living Through Chemistry, which is a wordplay on the DuPont slogan. And DuPont were a chemical company, or they still are, I think. The original slogan, which is from them, which is Better Living Through Chemistry. But they changed it in the 80s to Better Living Through Science. And um, DuPont are an incredibly insidious company. They made the brand or the chemical Teflon, which we use on all of our pans and everything as a non-destructive coating and there's a really good film called dark waters um, starring mark ruffalo which talks about the real life story of how he brought dupont to court and it was a very long legal battle that nearly destroyed him but basically the chemical compound to make teflon is uh it's like a carbon compound chain that as i said is nearly indestructible because you can't destroy it, where do you put it? So they were putting it into landfills and all sorts and basically polluted a whole town and this gave people all sorts of leukemias and cancers or the water sources were being polluted. And it's believed that 90%, I think it's something like 90% of all living life, including us, have this carbon compound in us. So there's a whole there was a whole thing, wasn't there, in the, I think the 2000s, where this all kind of came to light. Right. Because I think it was only until, I think, the 90s or in the 2000s when DuPont were, were actually, like, uh, found to be negligent. And I think they paid something like a billion in fines or something, which is, like, nothing, because I think Teflon make them something like 20 billion a year or something ridiculous. Mm. Do you know what I mean? And it's, like, such a friendly brand, Teflon. Yeah, it's got that connotation of yeah, like, teflon. hey, it's non-stick, yeah, it's teflon. easy, make your life better. Yeah, teflon, yeah. Mm. And, and and DuPont, you know, is a huge chemical 
um, company. So yeah, the song Better Living Through Chemistry, the lyrics on it are quite interesting. So it's all about the prescription culture that we have. Again, you're talking about how you interpret lyrics. So I read a whole Reddit on people interpreting the lyrics and the meaning. Mm. You know, the opening line, the blue pill opens your eye. Is there a better way? A new religion prescribed to those without the faith. And this idea of kind of, you know, prescribing people pills. This is the new religion, the antidepressants, the Oxycontin. Do you know what I mean? Mm. It's quite an interesting, quite a poignant song. And the sort of idea of us like, you know, this prescription drug is fine, but you can't have your marijuana and your weed and your magic mushrooms. Mm. They're totally illegal. But this one is totally fine. It's safe. Mm. It's like, who are the drug pushers in this? And, you know, I just thought it was a really interesting song to come back in to the idea of medicine because it's like we've started off with penicillin which is a great medicine at curing everything and we sort of finished on a lovely downer (laughs) and that's where i've taken you folks to depression (laughs) inevitably technology provides the next steps so we could finish on halicin which is a new antibiotic okay so Hallison discovered in 2020 using AI. Oh, right. Interesting. It was actually named after Hal in 2001, A Space Odyssey. Oh, okay. And unlike other antibiotics, which bacteria becomes resistant to, yeah. Hal doesn't trigger mutations. Oh, right. Interesting. It uses a different mechanism to other antibiotics like penicillin. How it destroys bacteria is it sequesters iron inside bacteria's cells, which break down the cell walls so the cell dissolves. Oh, interesting. It was actually being used as a treatment for diabetes. Oh, okay. But they were running different models through AI, and AI came up with this idea of actually you could use this as an antibiotic. Oh, right, interesting. So they're still testing it. So it's still in the testing stage. Okay, one of the problems with antibiotics is that is that bacteria mutates and becomes resistant to it. Mm. And even Alexander Fleming knew this. Right. And he kind of warned against antibiotics being over-prescribed. And they have been over-prescribed yeah, for yeah. the last few decades. But they? he was, all through his career, he was really warning against right. that, of not doing that. Right. Because it'll become ineffective. Yes, yeah. So he knew the, he knew the score. Wow, that's interesting. How you doing? I've been told to keep it snappy, so let's get on with the show, shall we? Let's play Who Wants to Be a Cocktail? Okay, darlings, right. Let's get into this shit. Okay, if you played the game, this is the game. If you haven't, all you got to do is guess the quiz. I've made some clues. Guess the cocktail. Send in your answers and you win adulation points. Send them into No Garnish Pod or No Garnish at fastmail.fm. Cool. Let's get on with it. <laughs> Did you have a nice holiday? Uh, what do you mean holiday? <laughs> you weren't here last episode. No, I wasn't here, darlings. I had interdimensionally fucked everything. Right. Let's get on with the clues, shall we? First is the cocktail. Remember, everything relates to the show. It's very cerebral. Okay, two ounces of gin infused with munning spices, a third of an ounce of lemon juice, a third of an ounce of lime cordial, half an ounce of cinnamon syrup, five drops of clear oxygen liquid chlorophyll. 
What? Add the main ingredients to a tin, shake for 10 seconds, fill the glass with crushed ice and strain onto ice, topped with cold or chilled butterfly petri. What the fuck? Oxygen clock? What? Yes, darling. Chlorophyll? Five drops of chlorooxygen liquid chlorophyll. <laughs> oh, that's going to be a doozy. Okay, you're ready to for the film, darling. This yeah, is a film. It's a film, all right. Okay. okay. Cryptic clue number one. When the joke is the prescription, but your illness is no joke. Cryptic clue number two. In a reality where Robin Hood didn't take that wealth from the rich and gave it to the poor. And cryptic clue number three. When bird watching, don't confuse your robin for your robbie, your tit for tat, or stitch for a patch. And they are your three cryptic clues, darlings. Get them in, send them into No Garnish Pod. Oh, we don't give a fuck about that sound. <laughs> or email them in to nogarnish at fastmail.fm. Okay, darlings, I'm ready to go. Bye bye! Okay, so listeners, last week, yeah, Princess Strider was away and she just left us with a cryptic clue, which was, if they love you and they will, tell them all I'll love in my shadow. And if they try to slow you down, tell them all to go to hell, mm. which is from the band. The Japan Droids. The Japan Droids, definitely. House that heaven built? Yes, it was, wasn't yeah. it? And um, that was a nice kind of little tie up into with Nell and I, wasn't it? Strangely. Mm. That was it. So if you got that, congratulations. All the adulation points to you. Thank you so much for listening to this episode. Yeah, um, thank you. I want to know if you think... Maybe that should be the poll. Yeah. Who thinks uh, the pyramids were something to do with aliens or not? I want to know what our listeners, how our listeners divided on that. Okay, how would you phrase that question? Are the pyramids to do with something with aliens or not <laughs> okay. I don't know I don't know how else to say it we're going to do an alien pyramid poll alien That's alien pyramid poll alright that's it that's got a good ring to it alright cool <laughs> Thank you so much, listeners, for tuning in and um, all the usual M bollocks. Um, like and subscribe us on our Instagram page. Send in any comments. We'd love to hear from you. And thank you so much for joining us on this journey through the yeah. penicillin. <laughs> yeah. And thank you so much, Paul, again, yeah. as always, for making me the drinks. They're absolutely beautiful. Thanks for your wisdom and... My wisdom. <laughs> <laughs> what do you mean that sarcastically? <laughs> I've learned loads this evening. <laughs> Say goodnight, Reese. Night, night. <laughs> Cheers. Cheers. <laughs> Something I found really cute is yeah. the Jedi helmets. Look at those. Oh, they're nice. 
So they were developed in the 80s and they were called the Jedi helmets because it was to make kids less scared of going into the MRI room. Because right. they look like the helmets that Luke Skywalker wears in Star Wars. Yeah. <laughs> I just thought that was great. That was lovely. That's smart. I like it when people have smart ideas like that. Yeah, definitely. And it's a really good um, device because instead of cracking the kid's head open, you can use the helmet to view the damage done without having to open up their heads. I don't understand. Instead of cracking their heads open to look inside, you can use the helmet with the MRI scan. So it's a really good helmet, basically. You're joking about cracking kids' heads open? Yeah, you oh, don't okay. have to. That's the good thing about the helmets. You don't have to open their heads up to look at the damage inside. See, this is the trouble. When we get into this kind of world, I don't know if this is a joke. I don't know if this is serious. 